Welcome to the Journal of the Southwest Radio Podcast, a production of the University of Arizona Southwest Center in the College of Social and Behavioral Sciences. I'm Taylor Miller, a researcher with the Southwest Center. Today, I'm overjoyed to chat with Gabriel Dozal. Gabriel is a writer and educator from El Paso, Texas. He received his MFA in creative writing from the University of Arizona, and he's a poetry editor for Diagram. His work appears in Poetry Magazine, the Iowa Review, Guernica, Brooklyn Rail, the Literary Review, the Volta, and elsewhere. Gabriel, hello. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for uh, having me, uh, Taylor. I'm, I'm happy to speak to you. So much fun. Um, and thank you for your time. So, yeah, I just really can't explain my excitement enough, the opportunity here to learn more about your writing process and specifically your brand new book, The Border Simulator, which is out this August. Um, I first learned of your writing while teaching political geography here of U- here at U of A, uh, and it was a course that centered on borders, borders as in everywhere, from the Mediterranean basin to occupied Palestine to the region that you and I both call home, um, as well as the myriad iterations of borders and bordering that are reproduced and bolstered by virtual walls, by biometrics and surveillance. And so I found your way to eight, a poem from the border simulator, which was featured in the Brooklyn Rail. My students uh, in that class, we read it, we discussed the work, and I've just been waiting with bated breath since the book released. So this is really, really fun. But um, before we get into some of the nuance of that project, I'm hoping here that uh, you'd be open to sharing a bit about your background and you know, rather what brought you to poetry and writing about these highly conflictual sites and spaces of the US-Mexico borderlands. Yeah, I mean, I'm honored that your class took a look at, at my poems. I, I would have loved to have been like a fly on the wall and heard, heard the conversations but next time for sure yeah. next okay time. yeah i'd be happy happy to yeah um but uh to your question it's sort of in my blood and something i can't escape i'm from el paso all my family is from either el paso or juarez and i grew up sort of like a fish in water only knowing the border and its particular rhythms of life and what it's like to live between two cultures i really i mean early on i never wanted to write about the border because it seemed like the most obvious and easy thing to write about in my experience, or it's something I knew so well, it almost seemed like uh, I should be writing about something else, at least when, when I was younger. But mm-hmm. as I've kind of grown a little older and a little wiser, I feel more comfortable writing about being from the border. I also think it's a little bit of an expectation, I think, or it's like a pressure or something I feel. Like people mm-hmm. expect me to write about the border. And in my own small way, I kind of poke fun at this in the book mm-hmm. while still playing into this role as well of a border person writing about the border. But I feel like I, I've, I've wanted it to be my own kind of unique look at the border. But um, as far as poetry goes, mm-hmm. like why, why I chose poetry, I mean, language has always been the art form I express myself best in. My father is a, was a middle school art teacher for 30 years and he's a Southwest landscape mm-hmm. painter. These are kind of like the skills he passed down to me, right? He had this great yeah. knowledge of art, these teaching skills. I can't draw or paint outside of a paper bag, but uh, <laughs> I think language is where I'm able to pull that kind of energy and instinct to be creative, uh, but also kind of like a work ethic, which I get from my mom as, as well. Uh, like it's kind of things passed down from my parents kind of funnel mm. themselves into, into poetry. Ah, that's so beautiful. As a, as a newer-ish, mom that kind of makes me tear up because I'm always thinking about you know how 
artwork and art making and the books that we surround ourselves with in the house, you know, how that is imprinting on my daughter, hopefully for the best. And, you know, that, that, that sounds really nice. And um, yeah, I have to take a look at your dad's artwork too. That's phenomenal. Um, so something that fascinates me and albeit it's a tiny bit tangential here, but maybe not, but, uh, you know, here is in the time that's leading up to reading the border simulator, um, and now in planning for our chat here, you know, I'm, I'm Googling, like, what is the border simulator just to sort of get a baseline understanding of what the world sees and thinks of it as a, as the phrase even, um, you know, and just to see how that concept could be cobbled together, um, and prior to some of the press for your book that's now starting to fill up, um, you know, searches and circuits, there were quite a few YouTube videos that were popping up and ones that were like Mexico border simulator and, you know, border patrol police simulator. Um, and basically their reviews and demonstrations for all these different video games, no shortage of them there. And so there's like these screen grabs for a slew of them that feature iterations of a very, you know, sort of tested theme of a man brawny white as snow in a black jacket or a bulletproof vest or you know some kind of full some iteration of full combat gear sometimes camo sometimes not and then of course there's police in large letters across their chest and backs but from what I noticed and again this isn't like a deep dive media studies thing here but you know there's no flag there's no nation state branding otherwise and so the border then is like a nowhere but it's a border as an everywhere and so it's, of course, we all know nothing new that, you know, military and combat simulation, simulation games are going hand in hand with this lethally toxic, heteropatriarchal, white supremacist ideology. So prevalent, you know, these ways of believing and being in the world. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, I'm like, I'm not in the gaming world, but it's still, to me at least, it's very shocking to be confronted here in 2023 with this blatantly racist typology, you know, these, these, these stereotypes and one vignette in particular, then it really stuck with me. And that I'm actually considering like doing that deeper dive on all of this, but it came up about a TikTok search on Google. Um, and it, the, the, the screenshot was titled how to cross the border in Mexican border sim backrooms. And the scene could, you know, presumably then be any point of entry along the U S Mexico border the details somewhat obscured, a little bit pixelated, but, you know, as if that matters to anybody. And beyond the several layers of fencing and a speed limit sign that was in English and in miles, um, you know, there's lights and there's awnings of the checkpoint. And then there's a small figure, um, pretty much like a Lego figurine in black jeans, a shrunken black t-shirt, and a sombrero. And so first of all, what the hell? <laughs> and secondly, you know, to fight back against the nausea-inducing rage of all of this, at least on my end, um, you know, these crass and ignorant tropes. And so, you know, very long-winded there, but I want to think about simulation then, you know, the the simulation, if we will. Um, maybe something like these, maybe not. But can you talk to us a bit about the border simulator as a place and as a process and as this sort of repetition or these cycles? Yeah, you know, it's... it. I think in a, in a lot of places, the book deals with what you're speaking about, this online kind of representation of the border mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways, not mm -hmm. just the kind of like Roblox pixelated, these, these games, um, because I did similar kinds of research, right? Just kind of Googling border simulator. 
and yeah. what what that comes up with right um so but for myself it started off as just as an idea i wrote in a poem once mm. like just kind of like a like a practice kind of thing and uh andrew monson who at the time was the head of the creative writing department at the u at the university of arizona he saw that phrase he circled it and said that's an interesting idea and concept mm. so mm -hmm. i mean so after that i like I said, I did something similar to you. I started Googling and searching for iterations of something like a border simulator. Uh, there's an early computer game uh, made by some, I guess, like engineers, I think, at the oh. University of Texas at El Paso that also moved in these kind of stereotypes, this sort of like Lego Roblox version, these like, you know, like little 16-bit uh -huh. cactuses. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah. Like, almost like Frogger, if you know that game Frogger. Yeah, but yeah, like, absolutely that kind of like but 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 placed in the desert right there's there's other iterations like uh i mean those are sort of sort of kind of like lowbrow but uh that director right. uh Ritu, uh he he's won an oscar for best director but he created mm. this thing called carne y arena it's a virtual reality simulation that it's it is much mm. more of an art piece like an immersive uh art piece so I definitely wasn't the first border simulator, the first one to sure. kind of think of this, right? And I'm sure there'll be other mm -hmm. future iterations and examples. And, right. I, and, it, and I think it's, um, it's a powerful metaphor mm -hmm. that can stand mm -hmm. in for all kinds of personal causes, uh, political, cultural, and literal types of crossing that I, I think there's room for many border simulators. Yes, and absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and this idea exists, like the, the border simulator, it is sort of this big, broad idea within the book. And I think I do that so that hopefully readers can read into that broadness, <clears throat> their mm -hmm. own type of, of simulation. But it, it exists it, it exists in many different ways within the book. I think that's what it is, like this morphing and this changing. Right. Um, and, and each poem or each set of poems kind of describes the border simulator in a different way. Like for instance, the, the poem that ends the book, uh, you've always been a border simulator. Mm. That's a little joke to myself almost like as if me, my person is an mm. example of this type of border simulation, just me walking around in the world and meeting people. Right. I, I'm like an idea of what it's like to be from the border just because I'm, I'm from there, but I'm hoping readers can see this border simulator from many different angles many different possible narratives and, and stories. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my, my brain jumps around to so many different locales, so many different everywhere borders um, throughout the world. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking of everything from, from drone surveillance and, and the virtual wall, which I mentioned before, which is, you know, ever growing and booming as a business and as a place and as a, as a, as a, you know, time too. Um, you know, and I'm also thinking of like the these new their Elbit systems launch these new like suicide drones. They're calling them, but you know, suicide is a little confusing to me. But you know, anyways, and and how they're field tested here in the U.S. borderlands, and then those right. technologies are exported across the world um, in a very borderless way, right? You know, the, the sort right. of the, the financialization right. yeah. of the border as an everywhere, but then of course there's that right. very sort of site specific ways in which the technologies are tested and i kind of just fixate on the material but of course you know there's there's all all sorts of iterations of this right but but you know uh, taylor in, in a lot of ways just because i know what you what you teach and how you're involved with the with the southwest center 
you're in a lot of ways you're an an ideal reader for mm -hmm. for the book because you're so close to it because you're aware of all of these things uh, i mean my book speaks to that type of surveillance that type of technology uh that that exists at the border and it tries to play with it it tries to like blow that up it tries to use yeah. it use that language mm. uh uh of the border and and like that that phenomenon that you just spoke of in in the yeah. book it's it's jeans it's clothes that get to cross borders without any you know they the jeans don't need papers the jeans don't need documents the the yeah. good the goods move freely mm -hmm. past borders but the mm -hmm. character primitiva primitivo they're they're stuck there they 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 can they can make the genes they can make the goods and the goods get mm -hmm. to pass but they but they don't so yeah uh, yeah absolutely wonderful. so yeah speaking to that movement and that the freedom of or lack thereof you know one of the to me one of the very most poignant aspects of this book is the Spanish translation which was done by Natasha Tiniakos. Um, the book is arranged and I'm sure there there's a lot of terminology or, or you know so much. Uh, effort that goes into this crafting, but you know, just as sort of a novice on my end, I, I I find it arranged in such a way that English, you know, it's on the left hand side of the page, and then the Spanish is on the right, but it's a line by line translation, opposed to you know, say a full poem in the English language, and then followed by a full poem in Spanish or you know, myriad other languages, and so maybe there's terminology for that. But what's so striking to me, you know, again, granted, somebody with a very very elemental grasp of Spanish, as well as, you know, the craft of poetry and prose, but it's how one's eyes can just toggle back and forth on the page. And, and it's between words, it's between languages, it's between homelands and words and worlds. And so it's this boundary, it's this border, but it's the spine of the book. And the reader is free. In my eyes, a real, literally in my eyes, but in my eyes, a real freedom of movement perchance, you know, where you can dance between these sides or rather there are no sides here. And so to me, I feel brilliantly allegorical of the borderlands um, because of the closures and the openings and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting and the waiting and, the waiting and the breeding, the rapping and breeding, bleeding and the living between the so-called sides. Um, and I know that this is an intense labor translation is an intense labor and so perhaps you can share a bit about this process you know uh, for you and for Natasha and what what all of that was like yeah and thank you so much for the kind words and the you know the brilliant kind of reading of that way it works and I believe it was told to me that it's called when it when the poems are facing each other in mm. one language and the other I believe it's on fosse on fosse oh. like a French a French word. yeah yeah I hope I don't have that wrong. I think, <laughs> but it's like, but then, you know, we refer to it as just facing, like sure. uh, fa facing translations. Right. I, I know, I know Natasha will be very happy to hear your, your wonderful reading. So mm. this, the idea of the translation came from my editor uh, at One World, Nicole Counts. She suggested it. She suggested a translation into the Spanish and it was not something I was expecting or mm. even imagining for the book. But once she suggested that, I, pretty quickly came to the realization sort of like to what you had in your in your question that if we're able to have the poems facing each other the possible metaphors for the reader mm -hmm. and the crossing and like you're saying the spine of the book being like a border 
that connects the world but separates them at the same time there's just so, there's the the amount of depth that that can give the book is very exciting mm-hmm. um, so I, I was and for a for a moment we weren't sure if we were going to be able to do that because mm. it was either like that or first half of the book would be in English and then the second half would be in Spanish but I really wanted right. it to be facing because just like you've picked up on that those brilliant those amazing metaphors you can move back between languages so when it came to the process though of translating yeah. uh, Natasha Tiniakos graciously agreed to do the translation in a limited time she had maybe about four months to yeah. to finish the translation and one thing I wanted early on was I wanted to give Natasha as much freedom in the Spanish to translate it mm. however she saw fit. And she had I gave her as much liberty as possible to run with or make up uh, mm. metaphors, mm. Uh, to, to make up her own kind of like parallels in the Spanish. And for two reasons. One, this was a necessity. It was necessary. As you know, in English, there's many jokes and puns and language play uh-huh, that, uh-huh. that is impossible to translate into the Spanish uh-huh. because that uh-huh. metaphor doesn't exist or the, the, the English language play is different. Uh-huh. So, she, so Natasha had to find parallels in the Spanish and kind of come up with her own kind of version of things. Secondly, I wanted the Spanish to push the Spanish translation to push even a bit further and to even at times have its own outlook or its own modes, its own way of thought through the language, mm. through the poems. And if you look carefully, uh, I probably, we didn't get to do it as much as I would like, but there's certain sections where the Spanish has its own special metaphor or its special mm. meaning or its own play. And because there's this Spanish version of the poems Okay, sorry, excuse me. Sometimes because there's Spanish in my English poems, right? In the English, sometimes mm-hmm. I, I, co- I code switch into, into English or Spanglish, right? Um, so sometimes sure. that, that stays in the Spanish, it stays in Spanish, or sometimes the, the English is just represented in the Spanish. There's a few parts where Natasha decided, you know what? The only way to get this, you know, uh, Celine Dion pun... <laughs> is to have the Celine Dion lyrics into, because in, it, it's not going to work in the Spanish. So we kept a few yeah. things in the English. There was times during the process where the Spanish influenced the English, that's the Spanish edited a little bit of the English sometimes. Because, okay, yeah. Because uh, they're kind of like updated versions. Um, right. So anyways, the, the translation has its own mind and its own rules at times. And this also mm. is just very exciting, and very special for me and Natasha and, we're, we're both really proud of, of what we've done here. Yeah, it's so fabulous. And just laden in everything that you just said is exactly, to me at least, what these borderlands are, you know, the code switching and, and uh, you know, uh, how, how you have to move through certain spaces or not. It's, and I'm sure that there's a whole lot that I'm missing out on not being able to read the Spanish side of things here, but um, definitely it's fun to sort of like pick out words <laughs> depending on like what sort of translation I'm looking for. And I'm like, oh, I'll add that to the personal dictionary. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah. And let me tell you, I mean, my Spanish is not great. Like I speak like kitchen Spanish, right? Like yeah. I grew up, you know, working in kitchens and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But even me being from the border, it's not, it's not really great, but Getting to read my poems in Spanish is <laughs> just the coolest thing ever. 
uh, it's it's I, I I think they're better poems in Spanish. They sound better in Spanish cool. than they do in English. Wow. There's, there's more musicality. It's just a fascinating, exciting thing. Ah, that's so beautiful. Maybe there will be like a joint reading or something like that one day. That would be really, really cool with you and Natasha. Um, ah, that's so great. So, you know, obviously border, 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 something on my mind here so much lately. These border studies conferences, you know, where academics there were once again, I say we, but they once again, jetting across the globe, right? This illustrious global citizen, a lot of people wear as a badge of honor, but you know, this chance to yet again, if we want to call it a post pandemic world, talking about borders and making posters about borders and joining panels about borders and writing journal papers about borders all while coasting past and over these borders. And so, you know, we're back in this imagined sort of post-pandemic full swing, if you will. And what I keep coming back to and kind of haunting in a sense as I, um, you know, kind of fiddle my way through this whole world of academia is like, would there still be borders if we least theorizing about And I pose this question, you know, like sometimes flippantly to friends, but, you know, it's just like sort of the circles that I'm in and moving through or pretending to be part of, you know, that it's just so much is focused on, predicated on the study of borders. And I think like at some point there's got to be a rupture here. There has to be a rupture. This is not a sustainable practice, right? And and so I suppose the, the obvious answer is yes, of course, the borders still be few academics dipped out, but, you know, they're not necessarily like upholding on their own, nor funding the Department of Homeland Security or Frontex or the Canada Border Services and all the other iterations of these, you know, these agencies. But every single day, I open my inbox and, you know, it's full of calls for papers and calls for jurors and, you know, about historicizing and dare I say romanticizing these border crossings and the border crossers and the materialities of these borders, um, you know, here in the Sonoran Desert and throughout the world. And, you know, you write at this point on the map, all the world's a border. And I can't tell you how many times I underlined that, but, you know, I, <laughs> and just, it's probably going to be something I dwell on for the rest of my life. But, you know, oh. I'm wondering then like, you know, what all of that effort and that labor and that money could and would look like if it was instead translated into more direct action against the reproduction of these borders, you know, and as I ramble on, but your text to me, it's one such direct action, I really believe, because, while writing or, you know, the act of other forms of art making is sometimes labeled as more nonviolent protest or, you know, perhaps not in of itself a blockade or a chaining to a bulldozer or a detention camp fence. I read this work. I sat with this work. You know, at first, I read it all in like a couple hours, but then I'm like, OK, slow down, revisit, meditate <laughs> on it, you know, but I read it as a very active refusal of the cliches surrounding migration and of these these border towns. And of the checkpoints, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. to me, it's um, a simultaneous scar and a healing. And it's this laying bare of so many of the hypocrisies of the agencies and of these war hawks as politicians. And I read it as a future of these presently extremely precarious landscapes because I, perhaps like you and other listeners here, 
uh, you know, we, we don't believe, or I don't believe that this, what feels permanent is for us to presume as so, um, you know, and, and at least not without demanding its dismantling. And so you say the border is a tactic and a symptom. It accuses you of committing the crime it's committing, you of landing what it's lording. There's a border and then there's a hidden border, one I can only access through the murmurs. And so I suppose then I'm curious, you know, we're, we're, we're speaking at a time when Title 42 has just ended, but, you know, there's this huge revamping of the virtual wall and scaling up of all these technologies and so on and so forth. And the Biden administration is just, you know, going full force with sending missiles across to Ukraine to defend other borders. And, right. you know, and then right. we have governors like Greg Abbott in Texas you know, all throughout the Southwest and in Florida too. And, you know, the agency heads and we have Raytheon and Elbit and Leonardo executives and these paramilitaries and the vigilantes. And, you know, I'm writing and I'm writing and the commas and the commas. And it's just like all these iterations and layers of these borders. But it's like, where can we, or where do you, I suppose, more specifically envision this going, you know, this as a border simulator, but, you know, how can these lines and walls continue to contort the region or, you know, like, are we stuck in the simulation, I guess, is my, is my, you know, comment as a question. <laughs> uh, but again, Taylor, thank you so much for the kind words and the wonderful reading of the book. Like it, it means so much to, to me that you connected with the book in such a way that you, you've caught all, like a lot of, you know, my reason for, for chasing these ideas. And, but at the same time, I've snuck so much of my of myself and my own beliefs into into these things or just things mm -hmm. I, I love. So even that one of the quotes that you pull, like at this point, all the world's a border. Like that's yeah. I, I that's a riff off of a Shakespeare line, right? Like a, mm. all, all the world's a stage. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, the, so there's all these like little. So that's it. It brings me so much joy for you to find and bring out these these quotes. Um, mm. Oh, here's here's something that um, that just your question brings up immediately as as yeah. that question like like is this a simulation are we living in a simulation what is this I, I wrote a poem that didn't get to make it into the book but about the practice of I, I think it was Governor Abbott and also DeSantis right they would bus mm -hmm. an airplane mm -hmm. migrants to like Martha's Vineyard and and right. and other places this Chicago like, yeah right. Right. This absolutely just using using the crossers as a as a political football um, that yeah. just is so just so insane, so wild, strange. It, it's it's like the poem writes itself at that point. Like it's like I, I mm. can't like my a lot of this is, you know, half based in reality, half based in a type of, you know, stereotype or a, or like a, a fakery, a simulation. Right. But that mm. a situation like that, I can't even make up something as good as I that, know. right? Like, I know. like I, there's so many. Like, I try to, as you noted, cook up or 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 bring to the surface the absurdity of yeah. of what it's like to cross a, a, a border. And this absurd event happens. I can't. I can't even make. Uh -huh. Like, I'm trying to make these like blown up, ridiculous, funny dark things and and like and something happens in reality so you, like this question and uh, it's doubly absurd than anything that we could think of right you know right. it's just like we, we could create right. we could create a, and i'm sure maybe somebody's out there doing this already but we could like create the poems just by pulling those headlines you know it's like they're just so grotesque and 
hyper real. Right. That yes. you almost can't wrap your head around. You know, I, I read the other day and I'm going so tangential here, but, you know, uh, Governor Abbott's now outlawing water breaks in Texas, you know, and and I'm just thinking, you know, as a longtime Sonoran desert dweller and we're, we're both sort of like praying on monsoons here for monsoons and yeah. just thinking about going back to that whole notion of water being life. And it's just like just stripping life down to absolute nothing and but it I don't even know you can tie that all into simulation it's just so grotesquely harmful and disgusting but I don't know yeah so so this is a good chance for me to talk about sort of the style of the book as well and and I'll get back to your question here in a moment Um, yeah yeah but uh my my favorite author she won the Nobel Prize in 2004 for literature Elfrida Jelinek. She's an Austrian, mm-hmm. Austrian writer. Her mode is this darkly funny, uh, very absurd, but very lyrical, very poetic writing. And she writes, she doesn't really write poetry. She writes plays and she writes uh, novels, but they, it feels very much like poetry. And she writes about uh, Austria's Nazi past, mostly. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she writes a lot about a lot of subjects now, but she kind of brings to the surface this this dark past in a very funny but also very dark dark way Mm. and this influenced the book because that's this is a part of the border that i want to i guess i can't i can't think of a better metaphor than bring to the surface here but to show (laughs) the book because even though all of this types of violence and absurdities happen at the border i'm from there and it's also a hilarious joyful full of life kind of place right so i'm and and i don't want i mean part of the simulation is like you know the the difference between what we experience in real life and what we experience on screens right we we live Mm -hmm. we live two lives we we live our life through screens and through social media it's just the way the the way the world is we we get so much of the world through there we and and even younger people now they, they they're formative they have formative events happen online through screens, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. and then we have our our the real life, and th- they both those things don't always match up, right? You know, the, the way the way that we know, right? So, part of that simulation is, you know, following media and news, you tend to hear only about the darker things that, that are happening at the border. Which of I'm glad that that's part of media. People need to know about this too, but in the book, I'm also trying to bring together this this friction by also having this kind of gallows humor by having this kind of like language play this word play between two languages mm. to show hopefully this full this fuller experience mm-hmm. uh, uh, of the border now i guess you know the border it's, it's hard to predict it's hard to know even me who i'm from there i know mm-hmm. how customs and border patrol works i have friends and family who work for customs because it's a uh, it's a well-paying job that you don't need a college right. degree for. It's it's the best job pay-wise that you can get in El Paso without a college degree. It's uh, right. so many of my friends, many of my family, they are you know kind of painted into a corner there, and they're they they're, and they're the perfect fit. They're the perfect fit for the job because they speak English and Spanish. Right? Yeah, like it's it's yeah. an irony, but it's hard to know even then how the border works because it's thousands of cogs moving together, and you know I, I feel like I don't necessarily have an answer to the tougher questions about how how borders are resolved how this violence and darkness are resolved but like i said i wanted to 
present this absurdity and the friction of these borders while not forgetting that verve and the jokes and the puns in English and Spanish. So many of the poems in the book are in the voice of a customs agent or something mm-hmm, similar mm-hmm. speaking to Primitivo or Primitiva. And I wanted this darkness and this friction in the book because I think that's the best way I can present the world that I know is, is with this type of friction. Uh, that's so beautiful. And it's so important to constantly remember that too, to still find ways to center the joy and the ways in which life is continuing on despite all the hardship. Because I, I actually, I, I fall very privy to that trap too, uh, you know, on social media or otherwise, you know, just <laughs> in very aggressively political one-sided conversations on my end at Trader Joe's. I'm like, we should have we need to do this and the baggers like whoa okay um but well, those, i mean and, and i appreciate <laughs> that and i know that it's important these are very important conversations to have right yeah um, and and centering that joy you know it's it's important because it it can't just all be needs to be but it can't just all be detention centers and you know extrajudicial killings and things like that because i don't know i'm i'm always trying to figure out that line or that balance line right that border there's a border right. um but that balance between awareness and, and hoping to spread that awareness, but then also just remembering how much life is actually here and how much beauty is actually here, um, you know, in El Paso, but of course, all the way here to Tucson and beyond to Tijuana and, oh, yeah. and so forth. But yeah, it's um, so fabulous how you how you worked through so much of that. And I'm wondering, you know, if you're amenable here, um, yeah. if you'll share with us an excerpt or two from the Border Simulator. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's see. Okay, I'll do. I'll do two here, and I, and just in our conversation, I, I kind of changed the second oh. one. I'm going to read because now I felt inspired to to read um, a different poem for the second one. But here's two two shorter poems uh, mm. from uh, the book, The Border Simulator. Um, this one is called "You Look at the Crossers, You Look Just Like Them." The Border Simulator is constant practice at Rossing. Shopping at Ross, what to say when crossing? Am I right? And Ross loss prevention is always side-eyeing you, the merchandise. You might steal a badly seamed pair of bedazzled jeans, but Ross loss prevention cares more about you stealing yourself. Borders accept crossers as payment now. The cryptocurrency of the border is the crosser and they are encrypt like boxes as they cross and soon they are released back from the crypt. If Customs knows the crosser, they can't check their papers, but it's hard not to know everyone in this narrow corridor where corridos tuba from every car. It's so loud that it's quiet. You also don't get old, you just give up on the bridge, waiting next to the same daywoo for hours, and you roll down your window and start swapping stories about other wait times. On the Mexican side, Customs had enough of the line and shouted to all the cars waiting, Bocina, si no existes, honk, if you don't exist. And all the cars honked. You couldn't even hear your passenger. And then... Uh, thank you. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you, for, thank you for having me, Taylor. It's, it's really an honor to get to speak with you and also someone who's given such great thought to the, to the book. Um, so this last poem... I'll read, it's the last poem of the book. It's called, uh, You've Always Been a Border Simulator. You've always been a border simulator, resident, never real, 
or simulated. And the crossers see that you're not real or simulated. And they're not sure if they are a mural of rural crossers. You simulate what a person with papers would say, would, would act like, so that you can cross over. Your accent is hard to understand. You have trouble saying your name and you say it anyway. Customs are suspicious because you can't say your name. So they take you in and make you paint murals of crossers at the border. The murals warn crossers of what might be waiting for them, the unswerving future, an eight-bit desert. All day you paint in the border simulator portraits of crossers, and their portrait is their face covered by a phone. You paint murals of crossers going into the simulation, their faces also covered by their phones, but you can see their eyes, and they're scared of crossing. You ask them to pretend there is water. They can only pretend there is water so long. After your service to the simulator, you practice traversing your words, or the simulation traverses you. This simulation isn't a question of fake or reality, but a performance of saying your name. If the simulation survives, you also survive, and you keep it alive by crossing. The simulation exists because you cross into it and you love the threshold. When you speak of the border simulator, you're really speaking about blank, how a dollar sign can open up a whole new world of crossing. You go to the front of the line, customs asks you less questions. In simulation, you can pay off la policia. It's harder to do that in reality. But it's not the result you want, and the simulation is a results-based game. When you speak of the border simulator, you're really speaking about the X, where the two worlds meet. Gabriel, thank you so, so much for your time, for these readings today. I'm just indebted, you know, to the labor behind this text, and I look forward to teaching it, to reading it again and again, because like I said, it was like, oh, I was so excited the first time through. Um, you know, it's so immensely formative to my understanding of the Southwest. And I, I, I do think that it'll find a firm place in the canon of these work, you know, other, other works, Southwest literatures. And, you know, I'm certain I'll work through the pages again and again. But, you know, just a reminder to everyone here that the, the Border Simulator is available this August. We're so excited. Um, we'll provide links and show notes for where to purchase it. And, and, you know, hopefully there will be readings in town and things of that nature forthcoming. Um, but thank you so much, Gabriel. Taylor, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure uh, getting to talk to you about the book. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.